if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me to 1 Kings, 1 Kings 18. And uh, this is going to be our wrap-up on 1 Kings 18. We'll get through, uh, we don't have six killer tips, we've got seven, but we'll go through the first three today and finish the rest up next week. And so uh, the Thompsons will have to come back for that, and so hopefully we will hook them and they will come back for that. Um, we're going to look in uh, chapter 18 of 1 Kings. We're going to look at verses 6, 36 through 46. Okay, so we've been in this series on Elijah's life and ministry, loyalty in times of apostasy, and this is more of a topical lesson on prayer from that. So uh, let me begin with this. Leland Riken is a pastor, teacher, and current president of Wheaton College. And over the years, I've enjoyed his books and commentaries. And he has a great commentary on Elijah that I've been reading for this series. And Riken compares Elijah to a Native American firekeeper. And here's how he explains it. So listen to this. Elijah was like a firekeeper in a longhouse. For Native American Indians of the Northeast, like the Iroquois, the longhouse was the center of tribal life. Extended families would gather, they would live, sleep, eat, work, and play in a long wooden building called the longhouse. And one member, though, of the tribe was always chosen to be the fire keeper. It was his job to make sure that the flame in the longhouse was never extinguished when others would go off to gather, to hunt, or to fight. The fire keeper would stay in the longhouse and keep the home fires burning. Now, Riken goes on to explain this metaphor in this way. The prophet Elijah was like a fire keeper in the longhouse. When the tribes of Israel strayed and wandered away into apostasy, Elijah stayed home and blew on the embers of biblical faith. When the prophets of Baal tried to stomp out worship of the one true God, Elijah did not allow faith in the Lord to be extinguished. He was the keeper of the flame for the people of Israel. So when the people returned from their spiritual wanderings and gathered together at Mount Carmel like we looked at last week, it was Elijah's ready spark of faith that God used to reignite His people and turn their hearts back to Him. He was a fire keeper, in a sense, for the children of Israel. So how did Elijah do that? And how can we be that kind of individual that even in the worst of times, we can be someone who keeps the faith when those around us are falling away from the faith? How did Elijah do it? And how can we do it? How was Elijah able to sing last week on Mount Carmel, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. He prayed for fire and he prayed for rain. And both fell from the heavens. So how do we do it? Well, Notice, it says, how do fire keepers keep the, flan, the fan, the fan uh, fire keepers fan the flame of faith? And here's how they do it. We've seen this through this series. And so I don't want to do a lot of time on, on, on this, but I want to keep reminding you that as we move through 17 and 18, there's this pattern that by the power 
of God's sovereign word and by the providence of his sustaining love, here's what we must do. Fire keepers follow the pathway of loyal submission. If we're going to fan the flame of faith, and if we're going to maintain the fire of faith in times when people are growing cold, we've got to follow this pathway of loyal submission. And I won't take the time to read through that, but we've seen this. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. He obeys the word of the Lord. And then throughout, everybody is supposed to be abiding day by day. He did it by the brook Cherith. The widow and her son, they did it day by day as the flour and the oil were renewed. We abide in the word, but we also pray the word. And that's the aspect I want to focus on for uh, today and next week. Praying the word. But all of this is meant because we adore the Lord of the Word. Uh, all these things are, are not an end in themselves. The pathway of submission, when you know you're walking that path, the ultimate goal is to adore the Lord of the Word. And that's how Elijah did it. So we're going to focus on prayer. Because in the New Testament, if there's one thing that Elijah is known for, according to James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it's prayer. And notice the context. I have it written out in your notes. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. It is a context of sinfulness, of brokenness, of the need for repentance, the need for restoration. It's exactly the context that we've seen in the people of Israel. And that's why James says the effective prayer of a righteous man or woman can accomplish much. Example, number one, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. That's chapter 17 of 1 Kings. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. That's 1 Kings 18. That's what we saw last week. So first and foremost, Elijah was a man of prayer. Now let me just stop right here and make a caution. Because, you know, it's just interesting. We as Christians, we're always swinging from one pendulum to another. And I just don't, I want to caution you. When we're talking about the Old Testament, there's a lot of different ideas about the Old Testament. Don't fall into a, a popular extreme right now that says we cannot be a hero in God's story. Yes, yes, we need to be continually reminded that the hero of God's story is the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But if there's only one hero in God's story, and you and I can't be a hero. Are you understanding that? you got hero big H, there's the hero, and then there are heroes little h, which are the loyal remnant of God's people in the worst of times. Listen, if that's not a reality, then we have to throw Hebrews 11 out of the Bible by faith, and then it lists a hero, or not just a, many heroes little h. More than that, 
we would have to disregard James 5, 16 through 18 because what is the inspired apostle James doing? He's saying, look, be like Elijah. It's okay to be like the heroes in the Old Testament. Now, to be sure, Jesus, the risen Lord, the I am God, the returning king, he's the ultimate intercessor. None of us are seated at the right hand of the Father interceding. Am I right? Only he is. But don't think that because he's the intercessor, you and I aren't supposed to be intercessors for the Lord. Okay? So he's the big eye intercessor. We're the little eye. And that's what we're to be. God is sovereign. And what He predestines to happen will happen, and it does happen. But God has chosen to use means. And the means He wants to use is His loyal remnant in times of apostasy. And hopefully, that is all of us. Okay? And He uses imperfect runners. Remember last week, Elijah ran before the chariot of Ahab. He uses us who go before His coming and we announce His coming, and we remove obstacles from anyone so they are not hindered in coming to Christ, in how we live, in how we share the gospel. But be assured, you can be a firekeeper. And here's the second thing. The reason we need to be firekeepers is this. Realize there's no other way to receive blessings from God than through prayer. Yes, we have all riches and blessings in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 1. But do you realize you can't read the Apostle Paul? He basically can't... He didn't write in chapters. You know the chapters aren't inspired, right? Okay. But you can't read a chapter in Paul without him breaking out into prayer. Why? Because you can't just read the Scripture and get the blessings. You need to pray God's blessings. That's how He blesses us is through prayer. Notice what Riken says. If we want the good things that God loves to give, we must pray for them. Wisdom for life's decision comes through prayer. That's why we're going to pray for this couple. So does the awesome presence of God in worship. Conversions to faith in Christ. The revival fire of the Holy Spirit. The reformation of a culture. It all comes through prayer. And here's the interesting thing. As a firekeeper... For the apostate Israel, Elijah didn't merely pray for blessings for himself. He prayed for blessings for people who didn't deserve them. Who could pray but weren't praying. And didn't even want to pray. And so here's the the next principle I want you to see. Is that fire keepers practice the spiritual skill of intercession. They practice the spiritual skill of intercession. Why do I say that? Elijah, we've seen him pray. Okay, here's the thing. James says he prayed that it wouldn't rain. Kings doesn't record that, but we know that he did. Okay? Next time we see him praying, the first time we see him praying, is for the dead son of the Baal-worshipping widow. Okay, he's praying for someone else's child. The next time we see him praying, he's praying for fire to come down so that others would know who God is. The next time we see him praying in in 1 Kings 18, he's praying for the blessing of rain to come on the land of Israel. Every time you see Elijah praying, he's not praying for him. 
He's praying for others to be blessed. And so that's where the convicting moment comes for us, is how much of our prayer life, if we have one, is spent on praying for others to be blessed instead of just us. And so that's the question we have to, we have to realize. Now, I know all this talk of prayer makes us uncomfortable. You know, it, prayer is great. I mean, we, we love 1 Kings 18. I mean, who wouldn't want to stick their bony finger in the face of Ahab and, and confront him about his apostasy? We would all love to go up to Mount Carmel and uh, gather and challenge the apostate Baal prophets. Who doesn't want to see fire come down, right? Who doesn't want to see rain come after all three and a half years of no rain? The only problem is, when it says, when we say, okay, it's time to pray, we don't say it out loud, but there's kind of like, oh, okay, we're going to pray now. Okay, you know what I'm saying? And the reality is, Prayer goes against our human flesh. It goes against the flesh. We want to be doers, not prayers. Okay? We want to be independent, not dependent. We want to get what we want when we want it. We don't want to have to wait on God in prayer. Prayer is always the first thing to go in our lives. It's the first thing to go during a busy week. It's the first thing we leave out of our morning routine. It's the first thing we abandon when we go on vacation. Prayer, someone has said, you are no more than what you are when you are in prayer. That's convicting. You're no more than what you are in prayer. And yet, for most of us, it's difficult. So here's the next principle I want. This is, this is just the good stuff before we get into the lesson, Jerry. It's just getting good. Fire keepers are prayer warriors who begin or began as prayer learners. Okay? Fire keepers are prayer warriors who began as prayer learners. So don't get discouraged right now, okay? Don't tune out for the rest of the lesson and saying, well, this isn't me. I can never be that. Don't uh, don't not come next week. Oh, we're going to talk about more of this? Oh, my gosh. No. Realize that anybody you respect in prayer began as a learner. Can I get an amen? amen. And listen, here's the reality. Prayer is a spiritual skill that you have to learn, and it's caught as well as taught. You teach others how to pray when you pray in their presence. That's why those six killer tips are so funny. I mean, anytime you have a prayer video about how not to pray, they are hilarious. Why? Because we've all been there, right? And if we're honest and not just focus on others, that's me they're talking about, right? I've been there, okay? So no matter where you are, so here's what we're going to do. Prayer is caught, but it's also taught, okay? So if you go to the Gospel of Luke, the, the disciples, we see this played out in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had such a practice of prayer that when you ran around with these 12 guys for three years, they constantly heard him pray. Okay? No matter, you know, I mean, he prayed alone, he would get totally alone, but he would also pray in the presence of his disciples. That's how disciples learn to pray. Okay? And so they're 
he's modeling it, and they're so impressed with his prayer life, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's when he lays on them the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray in this manner, which we're going to hear upstairs this very Sunday. And so what we're going to do is we've already taught through the context of his prayers. We're going to allow Elijah to model prayer for us and to teach us how to be fire keepers and six, uh, seven principles of fire keepers that will fan the flame of faith in the worst of times, including times of apostasy. So basically, we're going to do use uh, his two more, most climactic prayers, the two prayers in 18. We're going to see the prayer for fire to fall from heaven, and we're going to look at the prayer for rain to fall on the earth. And from that, we're going to get these seven principles. And why is this important? Here's the last principle. Fire keepers learn to intercede so that they remain on fire. Fire keepers learn to intercede, so they remain on fire for God in the worst of times. Listen, if you're going to keep your heart warm, as the days grow darker and colder, it's not just reading the Word, but it's praying the Word back to God. Prayer, uh, uh, and this is another reason our flesh detests it. Because when we do prayer the way Jesus taught, it's humbling. It breaks our heart. It, it slays our flesh. It reveals who we are because as we're praying, we're like, what is coming out of my heart right now? And God's saying, well, it's not good, so bring it to me and I'll, I'll, I'll forgive it. But it, it, it exposes who we are. So if you want to be on fire in the days of head, ahead, if your faith is going to have a spark that can ignite others, it's going to be because you learn how to be a firekeeper. Okay? So let's take a look at, uh, let's look at at least three of these principles. And the first three are all interrelated, and they really tie together. So let's take a look at it. First of all, firekeepers keep the fire burning by intercessory prayer because of the first principle. Number one, Firekeepers intercede on the basis of Christ's blood sacrifice. Firekeepers intercede on the basis of Christ's blood sacrifice. Uh, and another theological, doctrinal word for that is atonement. Atonement. Atonement simply means this. Atonement is a covering for sin by a blood sacrifice. A covering for sin. Atonement is very similar to redemption. It's a payment that reconciles God with sinners by a blood sacrifice. And this is what takes place in verses 30 through 35. Isn't it interesting? Look at 1 Kings 18, 30 through 35. There are more verses devoted to the preparing of the sacrifice than to the actual prayer. Why? Because once you have the atonement... You don't have to use a lot of words. You don't have to get God's attention because the blood has covered and you're able to enter directly into His presence. Is that not a beautiful principle? So let's take a look at it. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me, the mediator. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. 
He took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a, a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Now here's the most critical part. Then he arranged the wood. Particularly, specifically, he cut the ox in pieces and laid it, arranged it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time, so much so that the water flowed around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. There's no way... Here's, here's the thing. The prophets of Baal in that time would build uh, like uh, secret places under the sacrifices where a priest would hide and light the sacrifice. They'd say, Oh, Baal, storm god, light the sacrifice. And the dude underneath the... How would you like that job? Be underneath the uh, burning sacrifice. And you would light it. And what Elijah is saying is, look, there's no human manipulation. There's no human way this can happen unless God lights this sacrifice. So, what are we doing here? He is preparing a blood-atoning sacrifice for sin. And that sacrifice points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood sacrifice on the cross. Elijah, by faith, is going to pray on the basis of an animal sacrifice for sin that points forward to the sacrifice of God's Son on the cross. But here's what I want you to see. In chapter 18, the prayer for fire comes before the prayer for rain. The prayer for fire comes before the prayer for rain. And why is that? Because, I mean, this whole chapter is supposed to be about rain coming. 18.1, show yourself to Ahab, and I am going to send the rain. But then you have this big bulk of the chapter, and it's about fire coming down from heaven. And they've had a three-and-a-half-year drought. Do you think you want matches? Do you think you want fire? I mean, can't you just see some of Israel, someone saying, uh, Elijah, I, I know you're into this fire thing. Uh, most guys are. They like building fires, right? But could we just pray for rain? Why did there have to be a prayer for fire before there was a prayer for rain? Because blood must come before blessings. Blood must come before blessings. You see, Elijah didn't dare ask for the blessings of God without first asking for the forgiveness of sins by a blood atonement. This is why in verses 23 through 24, he says to the people, the true God is the God who answers by fire because there's not going to be any rain until there's a blood atonement for sin. Blood must come before blessings. Now, why is that? Because people need to get right with God before they get any rain from God. See, people are in a rush to come to God like a divine Santa Claus, to give them gifts, not understanding that repentance must come before the showers of blessings. Sin must be dealt with before the showers of blessing. You see, the whole rain thing has to do with sin. 
Israel had sinned, therefore God disciplined them with no rain. And until repentance came, then God could not bring the blessing of rain. So the issue is not rain, but repentance. Listen, here's the deal. First, there must be the repenting of sin before the receiving of rain. There must be the removal of the curse for there to be a reception of blessing. There must be a sacrifice for sin. Then the showers of blessing will come. And I just want to quickly give you three aspects. This isn't in your notes, but if you look at verse 38, if you look at verse 38, you can see the atoning for sin through redemption, propitiation, and through substitution. Because all of this is a picture of Christ's atonement. It isn't Christ. Christ isn't there. It's a picture forward. What's there is an ox. But all the aspects. So notice, first of all, that God provides fire. Why is that? Because the sacrifice of sin has to come from God. No no, no human being can offer it. It has to be fire from heaven. Okay? That's what redemption is. God pays the price for our sin. And God, the fire pictures God's wrath poured out on sinners and their sin. I mean, here's, here's the prophets of Baal. Here's Israel in their apostasy. God had every right to pour his wrath on them, including Elijah, and instead it falls on the sacrifice instead of the sinners and their sin, instead of the rebels and their rebellion, instead of the unbelievers and their unbelief. Ephesians 1.7 gives the fulfillment of this. In Christ, we have redemption or atonement through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. God was so gracious not to torch everybody on that mountain. Second thing, it was a consuming fire. It consumed everything, not just the, the, uh, the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. And not just the wood, but the stones of the altar. And not just the stones of the altar, but every, it says that it licked up every drop of water. And what that is, is propitiation. Propitiation is an important word where God's wrath is satisfied. Where God absorbs the wrath we deserve in our place. And so what's taking place there, when this thing's done, there's just like this kind of, uh, a, a, a um, what do you call those on the moon? A crater. There's just a crater there. There's just nothing left. Why? Because God, every sin has to be judged. And every ounce of our rebellion has to be licked up and paid for. Isn't that beautiful? And then you see substitution because all this fell on an animal instead of them. And yet that animal is not sufficient to die in the place of humans. And so that points us forward to the Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth and pointing forward to a greater substitute, a greater prophet, a greater priest, and a greater king. And so what you see in this is Elijah is going to pray on the basis of redemption, propitiation, and substitution. Now, here's the good news this morning. 
If you're a believer here this morning in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, if you're a believer in His blood sacrifice for sinners and for their sin, then every time you're praying on the basis of Jesus' blood sacrifice and atonement for you. Isn't that beautiful? So everything you see there that He was preparing... God the Father has prepared in His Son, and on the basis of the death, burial, and resurrection that atoned for our sin, that satisfied, propitiated the wrath of God, and was our substitute, that is our basis. Now, how does this... How, how did, so, for every one of these, I want to give you a point, the main point, and then an application. So, here's the main point. We intercede on the basis of Christ's blood. Now, how do we do that as Christians? When Christians often get to the end of their prayers, how do they? we often end our prayers? Before that. In Jesus' name, amen. And if we're not careful, and if we get careless, and if we don't understand this principle, then that becomes like, and they lived happily ever after the end. And it's like the hand squeeze. It's your turn to pray now. I am done. Because, you know, there's all those false pauses in prayer. And you're like, well, did they end or did they not? So we sign off with that. But here's the reality. Instead of seeing it like that... And, and listen, as we talk about prayer tips, I'm not like the prayer you know, Nazi that's listening to all your prayer. No, I've, I've been a Christian for a long time now. So I've heard a lot of praying, and I've heard me pray. So, this is common to all of us, okay? So, don't say, oh, I never want to pray in Chris's presence because he's going to be... Val-. Well, no, I, I'm sorry. If you say, Father God, 30 times, I don't have to be trying to pay attention. It happens. Doesn't it, Silas? Because if Silas, if I always said, Silas, listen, I want to talk to you, Silas. I'm glad you're here, Silas. And we'll be praying for you, Silas. It's going to be pretty evident that I'm saying... Okay, so you got that. But listen to me. Here's what... We do, I do, you pray, and so you're praying along, and people are listening, and then you get to the end, and it's like, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We just trail off. That ought to be the part we're shouting. That ought to be... So let me suggest, here's the application. Instead of ending with Jesus' name, maybe we need to start in Jesus' name. Father God, I come to you on the basis of Jesus' blood and sacrifice for me. Father, I come before your presence, not because of who I am and what I've done, but because of what he's done and is doing, has yet to do. I come in the name of Jesus, not on the basis of who I am. Start with that. And then just end with amen. Or you could just really say what we all know you're saying. I'm done now. It's your turn. I think that would honor God more than to use the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ as a sign-off that is too often said in a way that reflects you're not thinking about it. Can I? Are we relating? Does this make sense? Yeah, I think this is very helpful. So consider starting with that. Now, First things first, fire before rain, blood before blessing. That's the first principle. Here's the second principle. 
Fire keepers intercede in the revealed name of the Lord. Fire keepers uh, intercede in the revealed name of the Lord. This is the second principle. Pray in the revealed name of God. Look at verses 24 and 29. Here's his instructions. Verses 24 uh, through 29. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. So names twice. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the, all, all of the people answered and said, that's a good word. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal. So first he says it to the people who are Israel. Then he says it to the false prophets. And he says, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the, what? Name, Name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox and they go through this. Now, here's how they do it. They call on their God according to his name. You say, well, I don't see... Well, yeah, they do say, oh, Baal, answer us. But name means character. And what you see follows is the character of the God. Their prayer reflects the kind of God that Baal is. So what do they do? Oh, Baal, answer us. Or, I'm sorry, verse 26. Then they took the ox which was given them, they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. He's the kind of God that you've got to spend a lot of time getting his attention. And then you have to cry out many times, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And then they leaped about the altar. Why? Because the kind of God he was, you had to go through ritual. You had to get his attention and earn it and keep it. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. Look at that phrase, for he is a God. What's he saying? He's saying, look, your God is the kind of God that you got to be louder and so they said, they didn't say, hey, quit taunting us. He goes on, he says, call out with a loud voice, either he's occupied or gone aside. And gone aside means maybe he's, maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he went to the bathroom. You ever have somebody call your house and you say, oh, I'm sorry, she's busy right now. She stepped out. Well, we all know what that means. They're in the bathroom nine times out of ten. That's what he's saying. Your God is occupied. And he says, or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And in verse 28, they don't go, hey, you're not, you're not telling the truth about our God. They're like, yeah, you're right. And so then now they're really running and wild, and they start doing self-harm. Because that's the, kind of, that's the name of Baal. That's the kind of God Baal is. You've got to earn the right for him to answer. Listen. How you see God is reflected in how you worship God. And particularly, how you pray to God. So Elijah is capturing the character of Baal in his taunts. Baal is the kind of God whose name, whose character requires you speak longer, you yell louder, you dance wilder, you cut deeper, and you act stranger in order to get his attention. So when we get all hung up on, am I using the right words? That's not the kind of God we have. 
When you're, when you're caught up and you pray and then you think, I wonder if that prayer was good enough. That's not the kind of God we have. Isn't that good news? And you're going to hear more about that upstairs from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, notice everything that Elijah does is in the name of the Lord. So when you look at verses 30 through 32, it keeps saying he did it in the name of the Lord. He did it in the name of the Lord. And then when you go to verses 36 and 37, he starts praying and he says this, O Lord, using the divine name, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known you are God in Israel. Answer me, O Lord. He keeps using Yahweh. And so in English, we know that's all caps. In Hebrew, to the best of our understanding, it's Yahweh. And I always think of it as the I am God who revealed his name. This is my name. And the I am God is the ultimate promise keeper and the ever-present redeemer. And that's the God we pray in. We pray in his name. And so Elijah prays. So here's the point. Here's the point for this principle, okay? When Christians pray... They are to call on the name of the Lord and pray in the name of the Lord. And what name are we to use? We are to use the name of the I Am God, which in the Old Testament is this, but in the New Testament it reveals that Jesus himself is the I Am God. So we pray in the name of Jesus because he is the I Am God. Make sense? So, here's how Jesus taught us to pray. Here's the application. Jesus taught us to pray by calling on the name of the Lord. And this is probably the most basic lesson on prayer you can get. And so, let's pay attention. First of all, we pray to our Heavenly Father. We pray to our Heavenly Father. The New Testament God is not just a generic God. God, I pray to you. No, He is... What did Jesus teach? Pray in this manner. Our Father who is in heaven, right? And so our God is not the, uh, He is not the, what, what's the generic brand at Walmart? What? Great value. We, we don't pray to a great value God. Generic, bland, okay? Yes, He's God Almighty. Yes, He's mighty God. Yes, He's sovereign God. But that's not how we address Him. We All, the, all those mighty, majestic names that we can use for God, understand that that God is our Father. And so if you don't, we address our prayers to Father. So you can say, you can say it any way you want. Heavenly Father, who is mighty, and who is majestic, and who is holy... But don't leave out Father, otherwise that's you don't have a right to approach Him if you're not His child. So in volleyball, we got to know this great family, the Speaks. And so their daughter would, for whatever reason, well, I'll tell you why, would always address their dad by his given name. And I'm telling you, it's the strangest thing. Have you ever heard anybody do, you know, I mean, not adults, I'm talking, you know, a teenage daughter. And she'd say, hey, Mitch, it's time for us to go. And I'm like, what? Who? Ren, what's going on? 
And I said, Rhett, why do you do that? And she said, well, early on, we would be around other dads. And if I said dad, all the other dads would respond. And I wanted my dad to respond. So I used his given name. So far from being a lack of respect, it was like, you're my dad. So Mitch, let's go. Okay, and that's what she would be doing. And that, what a beautiful illustration, because we address a father God, and he has given us his revealed name. We get to use his given name, because he's our dad. And he's not the dad of everybody. He's only the dad of believers. So we address heavenly father of everyone who is born again. Second, we pray in the name of the son. So we pray to the Father, but we pray on the basis and the character of the Son. And we don't pray in the name of anyone or anybody else. We don't pray in the name of Mary. We don't pray in the name of Peter. We don't pray in the name of Paul. We don't pray in the name of Muhammad. We don't pray in the name of Billy Graham. We pray in the name of the one mediator between man and God, the man who? Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? And then third, we pray by the power of the Spirit. We pray by the power of the Spirit. Wow. That is just good stuff. So, here's what I end with. Here's the application for this point. What name do you pray in and how do you address God in prayer? Think about it. I hope all of us walk out of here this week and next growing in our prayer life. And I think this is a great place to start. Do you merely address God as God, as the great value God? Is it mighty God, sovereign God, but never heavenly Father? And is it in Jesus' name? You know, some I had, I'll end with this. I, I dated a gal in college that my future wife would look at and say, why is he with that girl? And that was a good question, Gwen. Good observation. <laughs> but whenever we would pray, because we were in Bible college, Silas, and that's what you did with your girlfriend, and we pray. And so whenever we pray, this gal would always pray to Jesus. And so I asked her, why do you pray to Jesus? In other words, dear, instead of Heavenly Father, it was Jesus. And she was quite honest. I appreciate her honesty. She said, because I, I've got to hang up with my dad, and I just I can't address God as Father. Well, my heart went out to her, but that's bad theology. You need to address your, your, your prayers to a theology. So we don't pray to Jesus. It's not like you're going to be struck dead if you do that. But we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. Because it's on the basis of who Christ is and what He's done. Is that just good? So those are just the first two. We'll wrap up the next five next week. But... Let's pray more this week than we typically do. And let's go upstairs. We'll learn a lot of good principles and the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you not just as a mighty God, but as a Father. And we are born again into your family. Why? On the basis of the blood of Jesus. And so we know we come only because of what he has done, is doing, and has yet to do. And Lord, we come because the Spirit indwells us as your children and the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And so, Lord, grow us. We're prayer learners. Few of us would feel comfortable being called a prayer warrior, but we can all be prayer learners. 
And may we leverage prayer, intercessory prayer, for Silas and Riley in these next two years that are going to be so critical in their lives, their marriage, and their ministry. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grow in your prayer life this week.